Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for on patrol with the PPD. Airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio. Thanks for joining us this morning. Before we get into our program, let's start with a check of the weather. Lieutenant? WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Today, occasional showers this morning, then showers likely with isolated thunderstorms this afternoon. Some thunderstorms may produce heavy rainfall this afternoon. Not as cool with highs around 60. Southeast wind 5 to 10 miles per hour, becoming north this afternoon. Chance of rain 80%. Tonight, mostly cloudy. Showers likely, mainly in the evening. Lows in the lower 40s. Northwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour. Chance of rain 70%. Saturday, mostly sunny. Highs in the mid 60s. Northwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Good morning. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us this morning for another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD, the public radio and community radio program of the Pittsfield Police Department. My name is Mike Wynn. In addition to being the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield, I am one of the co-producers and co-hosts of this weekly radio program. We are thrilled and honored to be allowed to continue our live programming during this um, uncertain and difficult time that is the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, we are, uh, for you know, for the lieutenant, he'll understand what I'm talking about. You planning section chief this week or today, lieutenant? Not today. Not today. Uh, Sunday. We are in operations period 51. 51 days of full-time emergency management and emergency planning. Uh, who'd have thunk it? it? Yeah, exactly. And we've got some interesting stuff to talk about this morning. And we have another special guest in studio this morning. Um, but before we introduce our special guest... Lieutenant, what's been going on? Um, you know, it, it feels like this week has been a little bit more normal, you know, as, as far as Whatever's what's going on in our, in our building. Um, of course, that's certainly not the case for the most part, um, for, for most people and, you know, outside of, uh, you know, what we're doing. Um, but it's, it, it there, there was some sense of normalcy in terms of um unfortunately we had some incidents that were you know crime happened yeah <laughs> for crime. lack of a better term crime happened detectives responded crime scene responded yeah. you got to write a press release or two yeah yeah it's you know and it didn't have anything to do with a virus right so, yeah, so. yeah i was but out it, in the field a little more this week working on you know some of my ongoing projects with some of our other staff so i haven't i haven't seen any emails related to the topic and i haven't heard any complaints so apparently the radio reprogramming transition is going well well we were just working on you know our our tac one channel which we're not operating on right now so um you know it's a work in progress we're going to get back at it to uh in some aspects next week and um you know just hoping to to finish this one up and by the end of the uh fiscal year here and and you know move on to other things it's been ongoing <laughs> i think we've been talking about it on this this program since we started back in july july it, actually i was just thinking about it. can you believe we started this program in july so it, it doesn't seem that long ago, does it? And we've been doing really well. I don't want to jinx it, but I think we've only had one, possibly two weeks that we had to run a rerun because we couldn't get any coverage out here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'll give you the credit for that, Chief. Yeah. I've <laughs> taken more days off than you have. But but in both of those cases, it was because we had an ongoing situation. Right? We we had to deploy and go do something, so we had to you know we couldn't make it out here. All right. So in keeping with the, the offer and the commitment I made to fellow department heads a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'm just going to say this again. If 
you're a regular listener and you do not receive Cultural Pittsfield this week, the weekly email newsletter of the Office of Cultural Development, go to their website, put your email in there, and sign up and get this thing sent to your inbox. Uh, even in this time when you know things are, are shut down and, and they can't go to some of the shows or some of the venues, the amount of information that they're collecting and the amount of information they're pushing out is, uh, is amazing. And uh, for a small city department, which is basically two people and a bunch of volunteers, they do a great job. So um, one of the things that's at the top of the weekly newsletter that came out last night is they have a list of local restaurants um, and you know neighbors that are open for takeout. And the way they set the list up, it's, you know, everything is listed, but they're all hyperlinks. So if you get this newsletter, you can actually hyperlink and go to all of these restaurants and find their menu. And as I said, they're pushing a lot of material and content into a virtual or online format. format. So uh, family friendly this year, hashtag art week at home will replace the original art week. It starts today, May 1st. You can uh, read about that. They've got some classes and online stuff. There's an ad in here for starting next week, Berkshire Theater Group, uh, benefit events online. And again, the First Friday's Art Walk is pushed online. So go, go check that out. Go check out their website. Sign up for the newsletter. And stay busy. Do something. Don't, don't let this time turn into lack of focus and, and loss of progress and and you know, failure at goals. I, we talked about it a little bit last week. I've been really, really trying to maintain my, uh, my exercise regimen. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a introvert to begin with. So the idea of grabbing my gear and going out for a hike by myself, that's, that's, you know, social distancing is easy for me when I'm trying to get my exercise. But one of the things that I do to exercise regularly, we've spoken on the program is I train jujitsu and clearly you can't train jujitsu in when essential businesses are shut down and you're maintaining social distancing so my school has done some amazing things and they're trying to be supportive of us and they've had some uh, online content and video stuff and so i did a, um i did a class with my professors on what tuesday on tuesday or wednesday and um it, it was basically a conditioning class because you can't do jiu-jitsu without a opponent right so they they were live um on facebook uh, Facebook Live, and they're doing the exercise, and I'm trying to do, keep the exercises and do them along with them, but I don't have anybody to to push against or resist. So it was good, and I got to drill some skills, but it 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 wasn't necessarily demanding. Well, yesterday morning, I got a notice that there was a link posted in the online training group, and another school that a school that I've never visited, I have no affiliation with, but one of their instructors comes to the Berkshires a couple times a year and when he comes up here he comes and trains with us they've been doing weekly workouts uh, that are also skill based but this guy he had worked with several other jiu-jitsu black belts and he'd come up with a way that you could use ordinary objects to enhance the resistance of the drill and so I, I took a class last night and uh, it was it was bizarre so we used flip-flops our, our gi belt, our jiu-jitsu belt, and a broomstick to provide the resistance for these technique drills. <laughs> I, I was sweating and panting like I had just come back from a run. It was awesome. So be creative. Yeah, creativity Stay, sure. stay engaged and uh, stay healthy. Yeah, it, you know, it's a time to, you know, maybe transfer your focus a little bit, not, you know, reduce it. Yeah. Some something you've been putting off, something that's you know you've been avoiding. Yep. Embrace that. Go yep. through this time and find it. So this doesn't happen all that often, but I have a question from a listener, um, and he sent it to me yesterday evening. Not late, late yesterday evening, but definitely after close of business. Which you know, it's, it, I always laugh because I get these things and like, you can send an immediate response. Like no. <laughs> Right. We're not responding to a crime scene. I'll see it tomorrow. Um, and it has to do with a case that came up this week. So this is from a listener, community partner of ours. Uh, I won't say specifically who it was. Um, and 
it has to do with confusion over charging language. So in this particular case, this is uh, confused when someone is caught with an illegal handgun and they are charged for not having an FID, firearms identification card. As you know, an FID doesn't allow you to carry a handgun. Can you help clear up the confusion? And, you know, so he's looking at the headline and it's um, the charge possession of a firearm without an FID card. And it's, I'm going to do my best to do this via radio. You know, you can't screenshot it. I can't show you this stuff, but essentially, um, this comes down to incompatible and different systems. That's, that's basically the explanation. So Massachusetts general laws, the statutes, they're, they're lengthy and they're cumbersome and they're divided up into sections and subsections and sometimes sub subsections. And in this particular case, it's the same general law for unlawful possession of a firearm without a license to carry an LTC and unlawful possession of a firearm without a, FID, right? It's not about the handgun. It's the section of the law. And in this particular case, that same general law, and a general in general, not the mass general law, but the same general mass general law applies to all kinds of other unlawful weapons as well. There's, there's a ton of them, and it's the subsections that differentiate. So uh, the law is, is lengthy and cumbersome, and it's got a lot of unique details, and those details come down to the the subsection within the law to differentiate. But what happens is, so we make the arrest, and we know what we're going to charge with, but we have to put the charge into our records management system, our RMS. And the RMS vendor is a computer company. They're, they're not a law company. So the, the key identifier for a law in the Commonwealth is the number of the law, Massachusetts general law, and I'm not going to use the, the right, I'm not going to use the appropriate legal references because I don't want to mess this up and have somebody go look it up online and then say, you used the wrong subsection. But let's say it's Mass General Law 123, section ABC, subsection F. Right? So, and that's not it. I'm, I'm just using that as an example. Um, when the record management system creates the content and the pull-down menus, we're concerned with the, the number and the, the section number and then the subsection letter. But it may be subsection F is for the LTC and subsection G is or I is for the FID. And when the vendor puts it in, they need to consolidate the language. So they take the, the large convoluted law, they bullet point it, and then they'll put something in. And in the text field that we use, it may, some, it may say something like possession of a firearm without a LTC or FID slash LTC slash and it, the text field is long, but when it prints on the complaint, it only prints the, the beginning of it. There's not enough space. So that's the beginning of the problem, right, is the, the actual text doesn't necessarily correspond to the text of the law itself. It's, it's, a, it's a representation. So that's one system. Our person puts the charging, the charges in. It's the right charge. It's going to use the right section and subsection, but the text is generic. Then that document goes to court. They have a completely different system. They're, no, they're worried about the number and the subsection, the section and the subsection, just like we are, because that's what's going to follow it through court and go on the docket. They put it in. They get a different general text. Whatever their record management system company put in is the language. Then at some point, someone, in this case a reporter, is going to ask for one of those two documents. And depending on which document they ask for, they're going to get that general description. They're going to write it based on that. And then at some point, a headline writer is going to take that story, and they're actually going to refine it. So it's different systems and a lot of different hands, and the reality is that it's the chapter number, the section number, and the subsection letter that specify for the court what the charge is. The text in the box is generic and it's done by the records management system or the computer company and that's why you see that confusion the systems don't talk and, and that that example of ltc versus fid is really a, a very um subdued example of sometimes what we deal with sometimes we do have to make adjustments because the language is totally not in sync with the language in the computer is totally not in sync with 
what we need to charge. Right. And, and even more, you know, significant changes do need to be made between um, the the police department and court. So it's and and that's that's the simplest explanation if everything goes right. Right. Yeah. And then there there are times where let's say at arraignment the prosecutor is preparing for arraignment and they've now reviewed a defendant's entire criminal record and they realize that based on something that the charging officer didn't see or didn't have access to that there's actually a different appropriate statute so there there may actually be an amendment so between the time we put the press release out on the arrest and the arraignment and the dangerousness hearing it may actually be changed because somebody became aware of something so oh, Dave's listening <laughs> you're welcome Dave no problem I hope that helps uh, if you have specific questions about what the actual thing is, it's, you know, most of these documents, uh, particularly after we, um, after we send them over to court, they actually are available as a public records request. So you could see the actual charge if you were interested enough to do the process. So did that question come in? The, the request was to specifically answer on the show today? Yes. He emailed me last night and said okay. a question for the radio show. Cool. So, yeah, we haven't had a lot. Not a lot. Yeah. A couple. Every every once in a while here and there all right so that like, we took care of the question yeah um so we have another special guest in studio with us this morning and if you've been listening for the last several weeks and following along you know that a few weeks ago we got the word uh, it's four weeks ago now actually we got the word that our academy was closing operations and uh, we did not get a lot of advance notice and it caused a little bit of scrambling, but we're looking for opportunities inside a crisis. And the one thing that we knew that was going to definitely give us was it was going to give us at least four weeks of guests that we wouldn't have to reach out to the community for because the academy closed and the student officers got assigned to the coordinating center with me. And what an opportunity for for student officers, a minimum of four weeks of special guests. So we are now up to our fourth special guest in studio this morning, student officer Benner. Welcome. Thank you, Chief. Thank you for having me. Good morning, <laughs> Lieutenant. Thanks for being here. Not like you had a choice, right? It's captive <laughs> audience. <laughs> so um, let's get started, and we, we're going to kind of follow the format that we've been following with your classmates. We'll start. Tell us and the listeners a little bit about you. Where's, where's Student Officer Benner from? How did you get here? I grew up in Berkshire County. I've been here my whole life. Uh, besides two years when I was in college in Ithaca, New York. But I'm in the same house that I grew up in now. Um, I moved to Pittsfield for like five years out of my parents' house and sold my house before the academy to try and save a little bit of money, which has been <coughs> helpful because the academy is... Uh, a burden in a burden in many many in different many ways. ways. <laughs> we'll talk about that when we get to the because it it there is an expense associated with that, right? We haven't yes, really sir. talked about that too much on the program no. yet. Um, so where in Berkshire County? Richmond, right on Richmond R Pond. Really? Yes, sir. Nice. Which side of Richmond Pond? Uh, it would be the Pittsfield the, Pittsfield the, side, the Camp Russell side, or the Interprince side. Camp Russell side. Right. Yeah. You can gotcha. walk right through the woods nice. and go to Camp Russell, walk my dog there all the time. Nice. All right. So uh, if you grew up in Richmond, Richmond Elementary School, Richmond Consolidated School? Berkshire Country Ber Day School, Berkshire, actually. Berkshire Country Day School. Yes, sir. He's one of those <laughs> South Carolina kids. Where'd you go to high school? Lennox. Lennox. Okay. And then you said you were in Ithaca for college for a little bit. Yes, sir. Right out right. of high school. Yep, for two year, two and a half years, I took a summer class there as well, my second year, uh, and then I came home after that class, trying to kind of explore all of my options because uh, it wasn't really fitting for me at the time. Okay, what'd you study? Athletic training. Okay, I sh that shouldn't be a surprise. <laughs> Taking the lead on their PT while they've been with us. At, at Ithaca, or isn't Cornell there, too? Cornell is on the other hill. Yep. Okay, but you went to Ithaca. Correct. Okay. Okay. I have a friend who's from Ithaca. It's, yeah, it's a 
what's the phrase? Ithaca is gorgeous. Ithaca, Ithaca is, is gorgeous. gorgeous, right? Yes, sir. So lots, lots of geographical artifacts in Ithaca, including beautiful, beautiful gorges. You know, glacier carved valleys. So that's like their motto: Ithaca is gorgeous. It's I, a good, it's a good play on words. I associate them uh, back when I was in college. They had a very strong Division Three football team. They did. That was probably before <laughs> yeah. you were there. <laughs> uh, not quite as strong when I was a student there. Still loved going to a few of the games. I remember going to uh, the Ithaca Cortland game, the Cortica Cup, which was the the biggest little game. And at the time, I think it was one of the uh, the only Division Three football games you could actually bet on in Vegas. Which <laughs> wow. we held that <clears throat> as a point of pride. Point yeah, of pride. Right. <laughs> So that's actually a good segue. So high school, college, what did you do besides study? Uh, in high school, I played lacrosse. I was a cross-country runner, and I was a cross-country skier. Wow. That's three cardio-intensive sports right there. Very much so, yes. Did you continue that in college? Uh, I, did you take up other recreational activities I, when you started college? Did a little bit of recreational. I tried to play club rugby. But uh, from a previous knee injury due to lacrosse, I went out and realized that uh, in rugby, they tackle at the knee. Rugby is rough. Yes. Rough. And uh, so that was a short-lived endeavor, but it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. It, I did not play rugby in <laughs> college. I lived with several ruggers, went to a lot of their games and practices. That, that is a rough athletic endeavor on and off the field it, it takes a, a special person the, the, rug, <laughs> the rugby culture mm. is bizarre yeah 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 good guys great and gals right williams had yeah. a great williams rugby team but man different different mindset all right so you're in college it's not fitting for you you do two and a half years you come home i came home and uh I decided I, I deferred, so then I took a, just a leave of absence to try and plan what I was going to do. And my dad suggested that I go get my EMT because it's a good use of my time. So I said, yeah, why not? Still in my the medical field, which I really in, I enjoyed. Because you the, were studying to be a trainer. Because I was tra- right. studying to be a trainer. So I got my EMT, joined the Richmond Volunteer Fire Department, and realized I really enjoyed both of those things so then i got a job at county ambulance uh and worked there for three and a half years and absolutely loved it and that actually kind of helped me transition into falling in love with police work and the interest in police work because i started working with all of the pittsfield police department and uh i really liked how they worked together and I love being part of a team. So, all right. So let's let's talk about your EMT thing briefly, and then we'll talk about this idea of making the move from uh, EMS to law enforcement. So you just you recently got some good news about your EMT certification and credential because you had let that lapse. Yes, right? sir. And uh, again, looking for opportunities in crisis, um, medical assistants and medical professionals are in serious demand right now because of our current situation in crisis and the commonwealth actually has has allowed a a longer look back right if yes if sir you were previously certified within a certain period of time you can apply and, and have that reinstated even if you let it lapse yes sir so that has that has positive bearing for you in a couple of different ways right because a skill set that you have you could potentially start to take advantage of again and actually, there's a little financial incentive with the Pittsfield Police Department associated with that. So as we were, as you said earlier, the academy is hard on a variety of fronts. And, and that's actually something that you'll be able to take advantage of when your certification documents come back through. So that's that's pretty good news. So you worked for county. Yes, sir. And uh, it, so working out of the, the two Pittsfield uh, depots. Um, would you work all three shifts around the clock? Or? Mostly worked the 24-hour shift and 
picked up two 24s, and that was my week. All the other weeks, I generally was off, except for that I always picked up overtime. I I don't like to be too idle, so I I would always pick up shifts every here, every you, other day. Young, got your own place, no commitments, nothing to tie you down. Just get out there and get after it. Yes, sir. So, so when I, you when you would pick up a shift, you know, just I guess you know, just for some ex- explanation on how they fill shifts. Um, did you pick up a full twenty four hour shift, or did you? Is that normally split with somebody else, or it, it depends? Depends. They have a they've got a pretty good scheduling site. I'll say. Um, I mean, you can just look at what's open for the week or even the month, uh, oh. and if it's open, it just says eight to whatever, whatever time they need. You can you just click on that, and then you can say however much you want to fill. If you want to fill the whole thing, then you can do that. Yep. But if you only want to fill a portion of it, you can do that too. So I picked up. 24s, I picked up 8s, I picked up 16s, picked gotcha. up 12s. Yep. Didn't really matter to me. I just I enjoyed working. I, I want to take an opportunity here um, in, in light of everything that is going on nationally to talk about um, our EMS partners. And, uh, you know, in the city of Pittsfield, we're, we're fortunate. We've got two private EMS providers that we're contracted with, county, obviously, uh, your previous employer who, you know, we have a strong, strong professional and in many cases personal relationship with um, a lot of their personnel, including the, the family that owns them. And then Action Ambulance, uh, newer to the game in, in the area, but also, you know, strong relationships, several people um, that worked with previous ambulance services that we would have known, you know, in the administration and management team in Pittsfield of Action. And, um, you know, as you said, you know, EMS and law enforcement and fire, you know, we're, we are out there in the field commingling all the time. And I got to tell you, um, one, I, I don't have the, the temerity and the personal, uh, the personality to be an EMT, right? I I've considered it many times during my career. I actually thought about it when we put this new incentive in place, um, when I was in college, like EMT and wilderness EMT is something I took a hard look at. It's not for me. Um, but I am always thankful and grateful for our, our partners in EMS. And on more than one occasion, as a police officer in the line of duty, I have been well taken care of by our local EMS providers. Um, and they, they do a great job in many capacities for us, not only in the field, right? We, we call EMS to take care of problems or issues that are reported by prisoners in our custody. They take care of us um, when we pre-plan and we need them to stage. We're involved in community events and community planning. And they're always right there in the planning process with us. Uh, and we couldn't, do, we couldn't do public safety without having them. And it's interesting here because they're private companies, right? It's, we're not like FDNY, where the EMTs and paramedics are, are municipal employees, and we're not like some of the small communities that surround us where it's the volunteer ambulance and fire department. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic, and it, we make it work. But thanks and shout out to all of the, our EMS partners and, and all medical personnel right now because that, that care continues at our hospital. Um, and I'd just say, the, so you're, you may not be aware, and I know, Lieutenant, you know because you're on the conference calls right now. Right now, county in particular has stepped up in a big way because they're contracted with the Commonwealth to do COVID-19 testing. They trained up a team of people to go out in the field and do tests either in residences or in congregate living nursing homes. And they're ramping up our ability to get people tested and get those test results turned around quickly. So that's been amazing. Um, and again, you know, the uh, talk about the thin blue line and the thin red line for EMS providers, the thin white line that's, uh, you know, makes this possible and, and keeps all of us protected and safe. So we're coming up on the half hour. It'll be time for another check of the weather, station identification and some PSAs. And then we will come back in the second half to learn a little bit more about Student Officer Benner. LT. Berkshire Weather. 
WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area, today, occasional showers this morning, then showers likely with isolated thunderstorms this afternoon. Some thunderstorms may produce heavy rainfall this afternoon. Not as cool with highs around 60. Southeast wind 5 to 10 miles per hour, becoming north this afternoon. Chance of rain 80%. Tonight, mostly cloudy. Showers likely, mainly in the evening. Lows in the lower 40s. Northwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour. Chance of rain 70%. Saturday, mostly sunny. Highs in the mid 60s. Northwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. Better weather is around the corner. Expect an increase in the number of pedestrians on walkways, cyclists sharing our roads, and kids playing outside. It is imperative we all pay better attention while driving, walking, running, and cycling. So we need to do our part in keeping everyone safe by adhering to the rules of the road. Wear bright clothing if you are walking or running. If you are driving, please slow down and don't drive while distracted. Pay attention. Let's keep each other safe. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union. Proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal Credit Union, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair, one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people they support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. PCTV and WTBR are committed to serving our community in this difficult time. We will bring you live coverage of press conferences and official statements from our government officials on PCTV CityLink Channel 1303, on the Pittsfield Community Television Facebook page, and on WTBR as they happen and as we are able to do so. Please stay tuned to our channels and our social media for updates on press conferences and other important information pertaining to the ongoing pandemic. Are we back? We are. We're back. Thank you for tuning in to uh, another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio. If you are just joining us, my name is Mike Wynn. I am the Chief of Police here in the City of Pittsfield. I'm also one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this weekly radio program. I'm joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traversa. Awesome, Gary. Of the, of the communications. <laughs> another one starting to stick, huh? <laughs> of the communications outreach and professional standards bureau. And we are also joined in the studio this morning by student officer Benner, who is one of our uh, recruit officers at the Western Mass Police Academy, who is currently reassigned due to the academy closure due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, we've just been getting to know a little bit about student officer Benner and his life up to this point, his background and experience. And I think we're just about at the point to transition. So um, you're an EMT. Yes, sir. Was out, out there working on recertifying now. out there answering calls, pushing an ambulance, you know, dealing with patients, and at some point you decide that you wanna you wanna slide over from the emergency management field from the thin white line to the law enforcement field, the thin blue line. Tell me about that. Yes, sir. Uh, so while I was being an EMT and before that as an athletic trainer, I always. I always enjoyed helping people, and I always felt like there was more that I could be doing to help. Um, the athletic training side, I realized that I was helping people in a very specific niche, and I kind of wanted to be able to expand that. So then when my dad suggested that I get my EMT, I worked as an EMT. I found that I was reaching a broader audience. Uh, to help, which I really enjoyed for a while, and then I started to get it into my head that I could be doing preventative measures instead of reactive, which as an EMT, I always felt like I was reacting to every situation that was happening. I had to come here after the fact, and as a police officer, I feel they're much more involved in educating the public to be safer. They're educating the public to be aware of everything around them and they're able to actually prevent emergencies before they even happen and that kind of started my drive 
to desire to become an officer. That's a that's a pretty self-aware and um, mindful observation. And you're you're a fairly young man, right? But to to see that. So let's stick on your EMS career a little bit before. Can I, we, can I just ask? Did you did, was that your response in your interview? Because that was really good. It was <laughs> along the same along lines. Along the same lines. And uh, at the um, command center, uh, Captain Briel, who was there, actually uh, had us write a, another paragraph as a, as the group of four of us of why we wanted to be police officers again. So it was. Very fresh in my mind because yep. he asked us to write those for him yesterday. Give so. some thought to that. <laughs> it was fresh for me. <clears throat> so, um, I've been on a lot of calls with a lot of EMS providers, and I have a cop's perspective when we go on those calls. So I'm curious to ask, and that you don't have to like get in any graphic <laughs> detail, but um, tell us about some of the most memorable calls you responded to as an EMT. Some of the some very memorable ones, I I guess, uh, was when we responded to some psychiatric emergencies. Um, as the officers there, I'm not sure, and this is, comes to many different towns that we had to go to to do these various calls. Um, we were looking at as trying to settle the person down medically. Whereas an officer that was there was trying to control the person physically. And with those two, those, they kind of clashed. Um, with one of my partners that I had did a very good job transitioning from the physical altercation that we inevitably were rolling up to already in progress to bringing it back down. Unfortunately, sometimes had to be pharmaceutical uh, with drugs and medications to calm the person down that way. But uh, my partner in particular, who I worked with, who's a supervisor, or was a supervisor, I think he's still a supervisor at county, um, he actually was had very good connection with anybody that we came to talk to and was it impressed me how well he was able to calm people down. And just so for the listeners, I mean, that's that's difficult doesn't come close. That's a practically impossible transition. So you have somebody who's in crisis, um, mental illness, substance abuse, whatever it is, maybe they're just angry and the call goes out. However, it goes out, you know, 911, whatever. And the team is rolling. Right. Yes. Sir. Fire, police, EMS, whatever mental health provider, co-responder, whatever we need to send for the package depending on the jurisdiction, is rolling. And if that situation is ongoing and volatile, the police are going in first. And the underlying consideration, as you said, is control the subject. Take control of the subject. Make this scene safe. And there's not always a lot of time. So sometimes that means go in, physically aggressive, get hold of that person, Stabilize them however you can, control them, restrain them however you can, and then bring in the medical providers who now have to treat a patient who was just a physically resisting subject literally moments before. So you have to establish rapport and demonstrate empathy and get them to allow you to treat them, right? Because it's, it's not, they, they didn't give up their rights during that transition. And it's not a guarantee that they're going to accept treatment. So if they refuse, we got a whole nother set of issues that's going to spin up from that. It's very important to now convince them that this is their best interest. We want to get them in the ambulance, right? It's, it's not easy. Um, it takes every single person on that multi, multi-jurisdictional, multi-agency response team. And at the end of the day, for everybody, even the police officers, the guiding principle is what can we do to help this person and get them the treatment they need? But the individual lanes of responsibility are very, very distinct. Uh, and as you said, sometimes, you know, without the assistance of chemical restraints, it's not possible. But that's something that 
your team can do that our team doesn't have access to, right? So we got to get to that point with just the tools on our belt. And the most valuable tool, right? You know, I was listening to something yesterday. I think it was, uh, Gen- I don't remember if it was General Mattis or General Kelly that said it. On a battlefield, the most valuable real estate is the six inches between your ears. I like that. Hold on. Yeah, it's the most nice. valuable tool we got. Um, so that those 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 crisis calls are difficult, and it takes everybody. Right. So I'm going to ask you two more EMS questions, and then we'll get to the process to, for you to transition. And actually, i got to go get on the conference call again, so we'll transition that as well. Um, yeah, I, I ask this of medics all the time because it fascinates me, and this in particular terrifies me. Have you ever delivered a baby? I have not. I have yeah. not delivered a baby. I've been – I was close once, but it was delivered before I got there So, because we were responding to another town. Got it. Uh, so it was there before I got there. That terrifies me. Being sent in on a on a OB call and being the first responder to get in there, it, that, that has been one of my personal like anxiety inducing things since I was in the academy. Since they showed us that video in the academy, <laughs> <clears throat> scares me. Um, so on an earlier episode, we were talking. So we when we're not in the pandemic, we try to have a segment on every show where we talk about you can't make this up or you can't believe this. Uh, and we had an earlier episode where we talked about some of the most memorable calls that all cops have. And it seems that all cops have the fat naked person call, the fat naked guy call. Do you have a medical fat naked guy call? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> More often than I'd Probably like, to, array, like yeah. to say. They don't tell you that when you're going through the pro- It doesn't matter, right? They definitely In the academy, don't. they didn't tell us that. I'm sure when the EMT program, they don't prepare you for that. It's, I, I don't want to keep harping that, but you come into this with, you know, this idyllic vision of who you're going to be and what you're going to do to help people. And then you end up dealing with a lot of people who can't keep their clothes on a lot. It's bizarre. All right. So moving on. So now you're, you're a medic and you decide you're going to take the leap and you're going to try to become a police officer. How many times do you have to take the test? Uh, I took the test twice. Uh, the first one is... The first time I took it is the list that I got call, the call from for this academy. And I took the second test because I hadn't heard from... Hadn't heard yet. Hadn't heard yet, so I just made sure to cover my bases on that one. But uh, then I got the phone call. So. so at some point you get the call. You got to come in and, air quotes, sign the list. And the process begins. So they bring you in. Um, this, this was Sergeant Mazio's group, right? Yes, sir. He, he onboarded you. So they bring you in, they go through the application, they tell you you've got an X amount of time, a small amount of time to complete that application and get it back to us. I think it was about six days. <laughs> it's a long application. <laughs> it's a long application. A lot of details. We ask a lot of questions. Um, we had your classmate, Student Officer McDonald, on last week. She was astounded at the depth of some of the questions we asked. She had gone through processes for other agencies and she said the other agency that she got background investigated from nowhere near the the depth that it was here we ask a lot of detailed questions we make you do a lot of writing turn in a lot of documentation take it's a long time to go through all that right yes it is and so from the time you did the application the application issue and review with the sergeant to the time that we called you up and said hey you know we're taking a real hard look at you you got to start the physical stuff how long was that i think i got the i think i got the email like between six and 14 days before i had to take the pittsfield's physical uh test which was if i recall correctly the hottest day of the year (laughs) we're talking about that we're talking about that with all of your classmates so far because that was the first time we had to administer that test it was a new requirement from the MPTC. You were the first group that we had to do it with. We had just sent some people down to work with the MPTC to kind of like get the procedures in place. We scheduled it, and you're, you're right. It was hot. And I said it last week. I was nervous. As the agency head, I was nervous. I was really concerned that we were going to, um, we were going to put these potential candidates in harm's way. But we had a tight deadline and we had to do it. We didn't have an option. And so we talked about this is another example because we had to put a safety plan together that we had everything in place to guarantee that if something happened, we would be able to respond in a way to minimize the risk to the student officer. And so we put out a call. 
to our community partners, and I'm pretty sure in this case it was county. Yep. And, uh, and so we need an ambulance and a crew on standby to be up there with us in the event that something goes sideways so that we don't have to delay the transport. And, you know, we uh, both of our providers do this for us all the time. But, again, my, my close relationship is with county. Um, and they did that without hesitation. And for the listeners, that may, okay, so what? They sent an ambulance. That's an ambulance that's not necessarily available in service for as long as we need them. So there's an impact to the provider for that. And by and large, they don't charge us for that, right? They just like, yeah, you need a crew, we'll give you a crew. They do it for things like that. They do it for large-scale special events. They do it for the lieutenant, well, it's the lieutenant and I when we were active and now uh, Sergeant Murphy for SRT operations. They just put a crew with us and uh, stay there until we tell them we don't need them anymore. It's, it's awesome partnership. So you go through that, you pass, and uh, between that point, how long before we sent you um, a conditional offer of employment? I want to say the conditional offer came in September, I believe it was. Uh, it was a pretty fast process for this for our group, uh, just because we were coming up on the end of our eligibility for that list, so they wanted to really rush through it yeah we were we were on a tight tight timeline and we were going to miss the academy if we didn't get through everything in time and with that added physical requirement it it stretched out the periods that we were allowed to do things so we had to fit a lot more in in a condensed period of time um but you were successful you got through and so when we when we started this conversation today you were talking about get um selling your house and moving back home because there's a financial implication when it comes to the academy, right? And um, I don't think we've talked about that with the previous recruits at all. Um, So from your perspective, talk about the financial implication of going to the academy. (laughs) Um, Well, the most significant one, I would say, would just be uh, not being able to work overtime at this moment because at my previous job just right just before the academy i was working about 60 hours a week if not more than that and my paychecks reflected as such and so when i came here and started working the two weeks before it was a little bit a little bit lower which was expected but the before that even just getting all of the gear together was substantial so there's a loss of income, right? And it doesn't matter if you're coming from EMS, part-time law enforcement. Um, the reality is if you accept with us, the way we do it in Pittsville, if you accept with us, you come on for your admin time a couple weeks before the academy starts. We, to, to make sure we maintain the relationship and people aren't poaching officers and hiring away, we put our student officers on the payroll. They, you, you come on as employees so that we can um, you know, benefit you and take care of some certain things. But you're not allowed to work any overtime. So you're making base police officer pay with no available overtime and no incentives. So for us, that's like, you know, the EMT thing wouldn't have qualified at the time. Uh, you don't get the language. You don't get your education. It's, it's, it's base police officer pay. And, well, we do all right. Um, you know, our base pay is not great comparative to the market. So there's, there's an immediate income loss. And then, well, we issue a lot of supplies and equipment. That list of what you need for the academy is extensive. And some of the stuff that's on there, we wouldn't consider to be uniforms or equipment. We're not going to buy that. So you got to have that in hand to get ready to go to the academy. So there's an expense associated with that. Yes, sir. And, And then there's this, like, looming repayment thing that actually is associated with the academy because you're responsible for your tuition, right? Yes, sir. So um, it's, you know, I just, for our listeners, I want to make sure that we're emphasizing, because we keep talking about this, deciding to become a police officer is a calling. Actually taking the steps to become a police officer is a massive commitment. And it's a massive commitment with an uncertain outcome. 
and I don't, I mean, I don't want to draw comparisons between law enforcement and the military or, you know, special units within the military. All of that requires a particular mindset. But like when I, when I left high school and I got ready to report for induction day at the Naval Academy, nobody handed me a bill and said, congratulations on your appointment. Here's a bill, right? As a matter of fact, I started getting money, right? That's. I don't think that many people understand that when you come out with a law enforcement agency, and it's not just Pittsville, this is, there is a significant financial impact and investment up front to just start the process. And if you're successful, it's definitely worth it. But you're not guaranteed to be successful. Right? It's, it, there's no guarantee. It's a huge leap of faith. Um, so, you know, Psychologically and emotionally, cognitively and financially, you, you got to be all in. There is no way to get through this process if you have any doubts at all. Right? If if those doubts creep in, you'll quit. It just there's no question. Um, and that's without having the uncertainty of oh my god, there's a global pandemic and we're not sure if we can continue to train. Right? Um, so you were what nine weeks into the academy when you got the reassignment. Yes, sir. Not, You're halfway through week not, nine. Yeah, not quite halfway through the academy. And the reassignment came up. It's been four weeks. A lot of uncertainty. A lot of days where you're just kind of like taking in content, waiting for some instructions. You've been helping us fill orders and pick orders and stuff like that. But next week, it's going to change. Yes, sir. Right? You got you got orders from the academy. What, on, we got that Tuesday or Wednesday? Uh, it was Tuesday, Tuesday, I believe, yeah. And uh, they have taken the the four weeks of the academy shutdown, and they have come up with a plan for remote learning. Yes, sir. Zoom classes. I, I took a quick look at this plan. I got to say, I'm impressed. Um, as somebody who's been on the academy staff and has been a subject matter instructor at the academy, to spin this up and tool it up in under four weeks is, is impressive. Um, you know, let's keep our fingers crossed, and we'll wait and see on how it works out got a lot of faith in the team that's doing this including your academy director and the mptc executive director um, but there's there's going to be a steep learning curve for everybody i mean the content that you're responsible for but for the instructors um i know when you go back one of the topics that you're going to have uh is being covered by a friend of mine re retired chief madera and uh i teach that block um historically and i'm it's it is not going to be an easy block to teach remotely. The content is such that, you know, physical presence and being able to read body language and get responses is important. It's the bias, the investigation of bias and hate crimes, um, that's going to be challenging to do via a remote platform. I'm sure the chief is up to it um, because he's outstanding, but it's there's going to be a steep learning curve. Um, this stuff is not the the material that you learn in the police academy does not lend itself to short bursts of you know force feeding content and then multiple choice questions it doesn't work that way so um stand by more on that for all of the gaps that um remote work and learning have filled in there's still a human element that you know is is that genuine element that is you know you're not getting you know people aren't getting in work meetings, you're not getting, you know, or you're not going to necessarily get in some of your Zoom classes, Kid, you know, students aren't getting, but you do the best you can with with what what's going on. We improvise, we adapt, yeah. we overcome. Yeah. Speaking of, I'm going to uh, adapt and go jump on this conference call in my cruiser, so kill my mic. When Sounds you guys good. are done, put those in that bag and bring that to me on 2nd Street. And I'll talk yes, to you guys later. All right, Chief. Have a great week, everybody. You too. All right, so uh, let's get into uh, a little bit more um, the uh, the academy and what you did in the nine weeks that you were there. What and I, and I asked the other student officers a similar question. What is it that was most unexpected? Because Sergeant Mazio, he did a lot of prep with you. I know the chief talked to you. Uh, it came down and, you know, the group did the best they could to prepare you. How prepared were you? What, was, what were some, some surprises? Uh, I mean, I think 
all of the other student officers have uh, touched on this, but definitely day one was a eye-opening experience and definitely was not as prepared as I thought I was. I packed my duffel bag many, many times thinking that if I was just knew where everything, every single item of that I had was, I could be prepared. And I was, I like to think I'm reasonably fit, but the physical and mental strain of day one is not something you can prepare for. <laughs> so, so they did their job at the academy. Absolutely. Um, all right. So, I mean, looking ahead, um, and we're down. We got about well, three or four more minutes. Um, what do you have? What do you hope to do in your, you know, your law enforcement career? What, what's, uh, you know, you talk about short-range plans. Obviously, your short-range plan right now is to um, get through whatever version of the academy is thrown at you. Um, you know, you're going to go through FTO. At some point, you're going to get out um, and you're going to be on the street on your own. And uh, oh, I had the wrong mic off. Um, what is what is it that you uh, you think you want to do? Any any thoughts? Uh, I I mean, when I during our two weeks of admin, I really got to see. It was we got a tour of the station. We got a tour of all of the different group, all of the task forces that we have at in Pittsfield. So, I've been thinking a lot about what I want to do. I think that with Pittsfield, I mean, there's there's not. There's not a lot of limits of what you can do, it seems to me. Uh, I have a big interest in the SRT team. I think that's a very cool, very uh, interesting field there. Uh, I think the K-9 unit is amazing. Uh, and I, I, we, I got to see that we have a dirt bike unit, which I never would have imagined yeah. in my entire life. <laughs> um, I love being out in the woods. Uh, and I was actually a wilderness first responder at one point and i know chief mentioned the wilderness emt field all that so i'm i love search and rescue kind of stuff I mean, all of that kind of drives me i really like were you a boy scout i was not a boy scout okay no. if, if, it was kind of surprising that i never was but uh my dad always mentions boy scout stuff he always shows me various things so i mean in spirit yeah <laughs> nice all right, so you know the it's just kind of open ended. You have a lot of interests, you know, as far as uh, you know, getting getting into one of the specialized units and you know progressing in your career. Yes, it's, sir. I like to learn. I think there's endless amount that you can learn in this field. I I mean, just I like to keep my options open. I want to explore everything. You know, you bring up a good point. There's you know, becoming a police officer, they, they kind of, you know, pack in that initial training into, you know, w with the academy and FTO before you get out on your own. It's it's a short window comparatively to the amount of knowledge that's out there and, and the amount of specialties, you know, nine months, you know, whatever. But, I mean, you can, it's, there's so much to learn and so many specialties and, you know, um, Officers often will do, will be involved in one specialty for, you know, years and in, in some cases decades and then transition to another aspect of, of doing the job. So there, there's a lot of um, flexibility as well, you know, and that's, uh, you know, whether you're in Pittsfield or, or another area, obviously the larger departments have, um, you know, having more specialized units there's there's more of an opportunity to do that but it's it's something that is not necessarily unique to to law enforcement i know you know you can do that to a certain degree in, in you know different fields a medical field whatever you can transition your specialties but it's it's something that is uh i think a benefit to uh you know people that that 
sometimes maybe want a, a little variety. So, all right, we are going to be off the air here in a few uh, seconds. Uh, you are listening to On Patrol of the PPD, 89.7 WTBR-FM, Pittsfield Community Radio. Have a good weekend.